0: It makes me very, very happy, and it helps the channel grow. And feel free to tell your friends, your family, your pets, whoever you want to share this with, and let's work out together. Welcome to the Simply Fit Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Hassoun. In this podcast, I'll be looking at three key questions related to fitness, nutrition, and mindset. I will break these down into information that is easy to understand and actionable so that you can apply it to your life today. This podcast will give you all you need to improve your health and well-being once and for all. So sit back, listen, and most importantly, take action. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Simply Fit Podcast. So today is episode 18 and I am very excited because we have our first guest ever. Uh, So it's an honor to have Coach Dan Reeve here who is actually my personal health and fitness coach. We've started to work together about four or five months now. So it's been an incredible journey so far and it is a pleasure to bring Dan on. And just to give you some context of who he is, where he's come from. So Dan has a huge 20 years of experience in the industry and that's a hell of a lot for any industry, let alone the fitness industry, which tends to be around a two to three year shelf life. So that's pretty impressive. And when it comes to athletic achievements, I kind of looked at these earlier and thought, "Eh, I've really not done anything yet. So he's completed a Deca Ironman, which I had to Google what that actually was. And it's a 24 mile channel swim, followed by a 1,120 mile cycle, and just finishes off with a 262 mile run. He's done five, let me test my French here, Le Tap de Tours, which is essentially the route that the Tour de France athletes would do, 19 marathons, and holds top five finishes in Great Britain and the world in Strongman in the eighty key, under 80 kilo category. This is all on his website, so it could be completely untrue and he might be making it all up, but I think <laughs> it's word for it. So uh, thank you for being here, Dan. Welcome to the show. Oh,
1: thank you for having me. Thank you for having me as your first guest as well. That's That's honor.
0: The honor is mine, mate. So I want to go through a couple of questions for you first, and then I want to go through the traditional format of the show, which is to take You know, a nutrition question, a fitness question, and a mindset question. I'm gonna lean them more towards your expertise in endurance events specifically, especially for someone who's potentially getting into it for the first time. Then we will go, yeah, go down that route. But I want to get to know a couple of questions for you and give some context to the listeners first. So, first question is regarding the length of time in the industry, and I'm serious. Like, 20 years is a very, very long time, and. I want to know what the fitness industry looks like uh, 20 years ago compared to what it looks like today. What aspects do you like and you want to stay and what aspects do you wish were left in the past? Maybe influencers Mm -hmm. sending their booty plans out to their followers. And yeah, I'd love to hear your experience and context on that. Yeah,
1: well, I suppose 20 years ago, it was a very different world altogether, whether it be sort of in the fitness industry or anything. But I think if you just take away social media and the internet, pretty much almost the internet in general, then you're starting to get an idea of the picture of where we were at. The scope that we have now and the people that we have access to, it's just huge. And over the course of those years, in terms of the education, the content that we can see, just not only as a as a fitness professional myself, but as a as a sort of someone who, as a voyeur of sort of fitness sort of uh, information is just gone from looking at magazines and potentially seeing it in newspapers at the weekends to suddenly it's at your beck and call every second of the day if you want it so it's a very very different world and I think it could be a very very confusing world out there for for people who are looking to try and like uh, understand and trying to make progress with themselves in their own bodies so Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a huge huge difference. And from a naive sort of twenty year old coming into the industry to now a forty one year old, well, almost forty one year old, it's uh, it's I've seen a lot of things come and go at the same time as well. So you see a lot of fads come in and out, and uh, you know you can already see that the the things that have had longevity within it are the basics. The basics never change, really. I think that's key. I think that's the same with whether it be fit, whether it be sort of like strength training or endurance training or uh,
0: diet as well. Uh, That's very, very valid. And yeah, if you think back to how you would obtain information, you know, years ago, you would have to, like, you've probably flown over to places to go to seminars and pick up information from there. Um, Maybe you would dig through books, but now you just literally have to open your Instagram app. And, you know, it's great in the sense that we're in the age of information, but the level of overwhelm and not knowing what is right and you know, what to do is, yeah, it's mind blowing, right?
1: Well, that's it. And I think it can then lead to like just inaction in general, like you could just have so much and you have that, like you said, information overload that can then just leave you sort of like almost stunned with, I don't know which way to go. What's the truth? What's not the truth? I think for most sort of general people, it's finding a couple of people who you trust, who you can sort of resonate with and then just going along with what they say really. I think if you if you try to take in too much, then you're just going to get lost in the trees of it all and end up changing programs every other week and sort of like end up getting no progress whatsoever because you're just trying to almost take in too much.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. That was definitely me when I started out as well. I would try just about anything. And then actually when I first got my first coach, what his advice to me was, again, he might've been saying this for um, selfish reasons. I doubt he was, but he said, just stick with one voice, you know, he had a coach and he was like, I listen to him. I trust him and I do everything I, he says. If someone tells me something else, you know, I kind of disregard it and just follow him because of it's a fair point because of everyone, there's so many nuances and there's so many different opinions, none of which are right or wrong. But then, like you said, you can get caught up in like, oh, is this the best approach? Is this the best approach? So no, I can completely resonate with that. I mean, something that's blown my mind is like, even just For me, like 10 years, it's been for me and like just how much has changed since then. But even like you said, with those extra 10 years that you've had, like the internet probably wasn't even that big of a thing 20 years ago, was it?
1: No, literally. I remember, I think I, I started my part time in the gym in 2000 and 99 when I went to university in my sort of first year at university, I think I'd only I got my first email address in '99. When I went to university, I didn't have an email address before that, so I didn't use the internet or any. I didn't use it for anything pretty much at that point. Uh, so yeah, it is, it is a total, totally different thing. And the thing we've got to remember with it all as well is that, particularly with social media, is we treat a lot of the information we see as fact when 99 of it is opinion. It's people's opinions, and whether that's right or wrong doesn't make any difference. Like that's that's fine, but you just got to realise that. Most of the times, when people write with authority, it is literally just their opinion that's coming across. So, whether it be me, whether it be you, it's still just a person's opinion most of the time. I think it's important that, like you said, when you follow that one voice, et cetera, There's there's nothing wrong with doing that because there's so many ways to get to your goal most of the time within strength and within endurance and within sort of diet, dietary. There's so many different ways to do it. But if you just believe in the process of that one sort of like goal and that one path that you're following, you'll get there rather than sort of changing passes, chopping all the time, changing paths all the time. And then unfortunately, then you can get lost and you can get sort of like, you
0: can start to feel a bit disillusioned by it all. 100%. I could not agree more with that. And yeah, I think ultimately it comes down to finding someone that you trust, who has worked with clients who have achieved similar things to what you want to achieve. And you look at that person and like, okay, what have they done? It's not just about building their physique. Are they working with people who look like me, who have the same goals? And are they just a genuine human being as well, right? Are they coming from the right place because of, you know, don't get me wrong, social media is a fantastic place to create a business. But, you know, a lot of people will have alternative agendas when it comes to putting out information, right?
1: Yeah, totally.
0: Cool. Second question for you before we dive into the main questions is, again, 20 years. I don't know if I've ever mentioned this on this podcast, but I mentioned it on one that was on in the past. And I said there was a point in the industry where maybe I was four or five years in and I contemplated leaving. It was very much when I was a one-to-one personal trainer. And then the body transformation space and the actual ability to make a significant impact to people's lives actually changed the game for me, really lit the fire. So was there any points for you in which you were like, maybe this industry isn't for me? Or, you know, what has been the thing that's keeping you going 20 years on? In t-
1: 2013, I actually quit my job in London. I worked in London for 13 years, quit my job in London and decided to go traveling for a year. And I I had fallen out of love with it a little bit. The 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 type of clients that I was working with weren't they weren't invigorating me. They weren't like making me feel passionate about it anymore. And I felt like I almost stagnated a, a little bit. And I think we all get that within our careers, and that's that's the time when we need to then refresh, like probably get some more education like maybe find a mentor or someone who's going to push us in the right direction of where we can start to find that sort of love for the love for what it is you do again and, and just reinvigorate that. And I think it's only a natural thing to do. You're going to need to, everyone's going to hit stages like that within our careers. Uh, but that definitely happened to me. Spent a year, six months in Australia, working in different places, uh, working with different people in Australia, spent six months traveling across America, going to different gyms, et cetera, there. So the big sort of players within the industry, spent a long time around those sort of people that got me back into it again. And then I literally, I started all over again. When I got back to the UK, I went back to zero. I didn't go back to London. I went back on a very, very like minimum wage job with just one other guy who just set up a gym. And then we built a successful gym together over the next three years from there. And I think that again, just realizing that actually, I think, from a personal training point of view, not chasing the sessions, not chasing the money to that point. Sometimes you can get a little bit like that, where you're just wanting to get more and more clients, do more and more, etc. Actually, to build something was was like was was fulfilling, and then it opened up opportunities to then go to Manchester like I did, and then to like move on to where I am now, etc. And again, it was a case of like making sure that I think over those times as well, over those over those sort of years, the industry was evolving, it was changing, it was becoming a bit more group training was. Like, sort of growing a little bit, like small group training, uh, online training was starting to come in as it's come into the, the forefront as well, sort of 2014, 2015. And, like, yeah, I think those gave us other side projects at the same time as well, which then again allowed you to use different skills, learn different sort of areas within the business at the same time as well, but still having people's health and goals and their sort of
0: being the best they can possibly be at the fore of that, but just using other means as well. No, I completely agree. And like you said, it was just that refresh and reset you need. I reckon if you probably went back into just traditional personal training, you probably would have ended up saying, actually, maybe this isn't for me. You have to be like, okay, well, I'm, I'm searching for fulfillment now. And that was funnily enough when I left to go to London to work in my first body transformation gym. So that was the trigger for me. And yeah, it sounds like it was for you, it was just changing it up, but staying within the same space. When you were traveling, did you ever get the temptation just to continue your travels?
1: Uh, I think I could have. I wanted to stay. I wanted to stay in Australia for longer. Unfortunately, with my visa, it was just for six months. So that was that. And because I was over 30 at that point as well, it wasn't as easy just to renew it. You literally had to go. I I could do it. I could I could renew it once. So I went to New Zealand for like for a long holiday then came back in again. And I had a friend who was setting up a gym called Fifth Element Wellness in Melbourne at the time. So I helped was helping him sort of set that up. I was also going up to clean health. I Had good contacts there, so I was like visiting friends there a lot and spending a lot of time around those guys who at the time were sort of industry leaders over there. They probably still, well, they actually still are. Yeah, it was. I, I did want to stay because I love the I love the in, the environment and the atmosphere and stuff. Just the, just that that type of living, being being around beaches and in the sun a lot of the time, which I think most of us probably enjoy that. But yeah, it wasn't to be. And then obviously coming back, I've always liked to be around water, so be around rivers and be around. Like the sea etc so most of the times where i've where i've worked and where i've lived have been around either a river or or, or sort of like the sea etc so i've tried to continue that but that's that, that's the only one but yeah like in terms of uh like continuing traveling then yeah if i was a if i was a little bit younger then i would have been doing what you've
0: been you've been doing the last year or so <laughs> uh, Well, wow, you never know there's still time there's still time. <laughs> exactly <laughs> awesome no i think that's amazing thank you for that context it's really good to hear your experience um you know, having those 20 years really, really valuable. So let's uh, segue into the questions for the day today. So we're actually going to get started with training. And I imagine during this lockdown period, a lot of people like myself, who might have never picked up something like running, cycling, just being doing a lot more endurance and outdoor sports in general, but very recreationally, I feel like a lot of those people will have an itch to scratch when we come out of this, and they can actually participate in half marathons, marathons, so for you, from a training perspective, what takes someone from that step of just being a recreational endurance athlete, or just a amateur, I should say, up into the point where they can be competitive or even just complete their first marathon, their first cycling event, or maybe in their first annual swim, something along those lines. Anal uh, annual swim is probably quite a big one in terms of uh, what we're going to take on in terms of the first one. But yeah, I think it's
1: when you start to, when you've got a real structured plan, when, when there's real structure to it and you are starting to think about it outside of your, just your workouts, when you're starting to put recovery methods into play, when you're starting to look at how you're sleeping, how you're eating and how that's going to affect the event itself and the training that you're doing, then I think the person's then starting to, they're, they're at, the have gone to the next level. They're not just, going out and just doing training sessions anymore and completing a goal they're thinking about how can i become the best runner that i could possibly be rather than just sort of like and there's nothing wrong with it either way like there's no there's no there's no right or wrong answer this. like it's just that i think when when they're asking questions about those things that i know that okay this person's really invested in this and they really do want the best out of it they're not just there to complete it which i get a lot of people want to do and they want to tick a box which there's nothing wrong
0: with that either. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And I think um, most of us, when we are doing the recreational stuff, we will going to our runs with sore calves, uh, doms from the other day because we weren't stretching or recovering enough. But like you said, when you start to tr- take on that level of training volume, you've almost got no choice but to up your recovery. Where would you start in terms of taking that next step for the, from a recovery perspective? Yeah, it
1: would. it would be around like, the your warm-ups and your cool-downs it'd be around it just it's sort of almost extending the the workout itself in either way where you're you're looking at how you're going to prepare best for it beforehand you're looking at how afterwards you're going to sort of are you like so beforehand you could maybe just be going for a few stretches a bit of mobility work for those let's say we've got a runner for instance you're looking maybe rolling your feet out you're stretching your calves your tibs a little bit you're making sure you're nice and loose you're getting your sort of like heart rate up a little bit you're maybe doing a few little core exercises and some some potentiation stuff before you go out for your run you may be making sure you've got actual water available to you if you need it you're hydrated before you start if the run is going to be a certain length like maybe over an hour do you have some carbohydrates available to you do you have some water available to you to make sure uh, that you're going to be able to perform the best and then extending it are you having a stretch afterwards are you potentially having a cold bath or cold shower and then a hot bath or cold shower are you getting some protein and carbs straight away or within the next sort of like hour and a half after you finish to then make sure you're getting recovered for the next run etc so I think it's like looking at the, the the windows either side of it and it's looking at that can I get that better before we then go on to sort of bigger picture bigger picture stuff and if if people are starting to put those things in place then then yeah, then they're gonna probably give me looking at, okay, how well am I sleeping? How what is my HRV? What is my resting heart rate? Are these metrics starting to change? Are they are they starting to ask questions about their their runs and the speed they're running at? Are they running faster now? What's their cadence like, etc.? So I think all those questions start to come as someone's getting more and more sort of like involved in it. And then as a coach, I can then start to give them more and more information because if I've got a, like someone who's who just wants to run their first 5k I'm not going to bog them down with what their pace should be or uh, how they should be feeling during a run or potentially let their body position etc I'm just going to let them go out and I'm going to let them just run and just enjoy the sights and sounds around them but when it comes to somebody else and they're starting to ask those sort of questions then we're going to look into right okay can we sort of keep this particular pace for this period of time can we look to implement this can do you have like a song that you need when you're going to do that like a little push? Can you put that song on, that Avril Levine
0: song on, uh, <laughs> et cetera. So you can start to look into those things a bit more. Completely agree. Uh, uh, yes. So yeah, let's go into that. I've got a couple of questions based on what you said, but let's uh, address my <laughs> my 5K PD that came with a playlist of Avril Levine that definitely helped. So I first question is, how, uh, how did we perceive my 22 minute 10 5K? How, how is that on the spectrum of that? Uh...
1: It's good for, for, for someone who's not like a, who I wouldn't say was a runner. Then I think that's a really respectable time. Like as a runner myself or as an athlete, like as in I was a football, I was a professional footballer. So running was my main sort of sport. Like it was, it was a main part of the game. So aerobically, I needed to be pretty fit. My judge was always sub twenty minutes, so I used to run sub twenty minute five k's, and I oh, that would be my judge. I'd go on a treadmill. Can you do sub twenty minutes? If you can, right, that's that's good shape. So for somebody who's not a runner and is hitting twenty two minutes, then that's really respectable from from my perspective. Definitely, I think that's that's a really good performance. Good, and it's a great
0: starting place anyway. Thank you. Special shout out to Avril Levine and the traffic lights also being in my favour. <laughs> That was uh, really helpful. Right. So let's just go back to what you were saying before. And just two questions for the listeners who might not know, what do we mean by potentiation?
1: So it's just warming up the muscles that are going to be used during the run. So if you're going to be doing like if you're doing a bench press, then you just literally would do a lighter bench press. So for running, you'd maybe do some high knees or some like kickbacks where you just kick your heels up towards your bum. So you're starting to move the range, the joints through the ranges of motion that they're going to be doing when they're going to be doing the movement. So it's, a, it's it's, almost like a lighter set before you go onto the actual set itself.
0: Perfect. And then the second question actually off the back of that, and um, one that's going to be helpful for me as well. So when do you want to start looking at hydration? So what time periods would you look at? Is it over an hour? Is it certain distance? Um, do you want to be having water that has electrolytes and carbohydrates in, or do you just want to be having water post a certain period?
1: I think you you can probably get away without it, anything under sort of 40 minutes ish. After that, you're going to start to like 1% dehydration can can affect up to 10% performance. So we're talking that this is like a huge player in performance. So a lack of water before you start is going to be an issue. So there's no point taking a drink with you if you haven't drank for the last four hours beforehand, you're already dehydrated and that water is not going to get into where you want it to get into in your 20 minute or 30 minute run. So you want to be hydrated, thinking about it throughout the day. And this is like helping your brain, helping everything else function. Water is always going to be a key one. That that 10%, that performance is not just going to be athletic performance. It's going to be your working day performance as well. So making sure we're well hydrated, like before we start is going to be a good thing. For most of my things under an hour, I might have, Like a small bottle with me, probably wouldn't if it was just on a run. On a bike, I'm sitting, so I can take a water bottle with me. It's much easier. I don't really want to carry something with me. If I'm hydrated, I can probably get through it. As soon as we get beyond an hour, then I'm starting to think about, right, okay, I need some water. I'm probably going to need some carbohydrates as well. For most people, it's between 20, depending on your size, 20 and 60 grams per hour of sort of exercise that you're doing. So it's starting to think about how you're going to get that in over the course of that hour. And also it's thinking about, you want to get it in as early as you possibly can as well. So literally as you start, you're thinking about getting it in from minute one. So if I'm doing a two hour run then, or two hour bike or whatever it happens to be from sort of like 15, 20 minutes, I am taking in carbohydrates and I am taking in some, some form of water. Now for me, I do a lot of my stuff on the bike. So it's a lot easier. I can just sit the bike. I can have the drinks cradle and I can have got pockets. I can just get access it when you're running. It's obviously a little bit harder, but I'm, but I'm looking at getting in. Yeah. Like I said, 500 mils of water or sort of like carb electrolyte sort of drink per hour. And then if you're going on longer then potentially you're going to need more. And also you've got to look at the weather. Like right now, if you're in the UK, it's quite cold. You're probably not going to need so much. But if we were in the summer and it was 30 degrees, that half a litre might turn into a litre per hour. So again, conditions are going to massively mimic what, what you're going to need. And also as well, the intensity and what the type of the type of work you're going to be doing is going to massively affect it. If you're doing really high intensity work, you're probably going to need more. You're going to need a higher end of the, that fuel level. If, you, if it's just a low intensity ride or a recovery ride or a recovery run, etc., then maybe you don't need anything at all. And you actually maybe want to actually use this as a as a way of actually burning a higher percentage of fat because you're working at a lower level and not actually fueling yourself with
0: the carbs. Very, very valuable. And um, it's worth noting about the hydration as well because um, a lot of people at this time of year, just because they're not thirsty, you know, there's not that inclination to grab the water bottle are very dehydrated. But even if we just come back to it from a cognitive standpoint, and then, like you said, you've started your run or your cycle on the back foot before you've even gotten going. So, yeah, it's it's huge to remember that just, like, leading up to it. For me, like, I, I don't really take a bottle out, but I don't usually, you know, do much longer than 45 to 50 minutes. But I feel like I'm entering that territory because of I run in the evening. So, hydrating afterwards is quite a challenge because I don't want to be up going to the bathroom. But, yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely something to consider because it makes a huge difference. And actually, that puts us in a good place to segue onto the next question, uh, which is all about nutrition. And I wanted to ask you, you know, when someone does get to this stage or they are within that athlete territory where they are competing in these endurance events, what are some of the common nutrition pitfalls that you see people make? Yeah, I think, and it's like, it's, it literally is the ones that we just talked about there. It's when it's not
1: thinking about what they're going to be doing. So it's not like sort of uh, prepping themselves for it so it's going out for a two-hour run and not having anything there and then having to run into a shop or what have you to get something to then that they need it's just it's just make it's just making sure that like whatever it is you're going to do you're going to make sure you've got the you've done the preparation for it like you're not going to go out without your running shoes so therefore if you're going to go for a two-hour run you want to make sure you've got some jelly babies and you've got a couple of bottles of water or or you know where you're going to you know where you're going to get them from and you know how you're going to get it rather than waiting to the point that actually, well, by the time you need it, you needed it half an hour before you needed it 40 minutes before. So most of the time you're being reactive rather than proactive. So from my perspective, it's making sure that you have those things available. When I've done a lot of my longer runs in the past, I've used like a loop and I probably set off and had a had a bottle and had to use this sort of five kilometre loop where I've had put, put, placed a bottle at one end Place the bottle at the other end, and I've literally, as I've got each end each time, uh, I've had a drink one end, had a drink the other end, and I'm making sure that I'm constantly getting the getting the right fuel in the right amount of carbs, the right amount of fuel to make sure I can get through that get through that that workout itself. And then I suppose the other thing as well is afterwards is also that when you do when you're starting to do a lot more endurance work, it actually increases your appetite quite a lot, so it can lead to you actually wanting to overeat it's one of the things that people don't really understand and don't really realize about aerobic endurance. It will actually increase your appetite. So it's one of those things that you've got to bear in mind in the long term, in terms of your body composition at the same time as well. So like people look on their apps and they look on their phone, they see themselves burning lots and lots of calories. And then they think that that sort of like ties over and then they can then use those calories to then obviously just eat more. And this is where I think the relationship with food and exercise starts to come into play. And, the the thing that I both massively stand for is that we we want to we want to see what our body can do. We want to celebrate our body. We don't want to necessarily like punish ourselves by using exercises of punishment. We want to like be see what we're capable of. Not just use exercise as slow. Like, this is the way I'm going to lose weight I'm going to go out and run for three hours and burn loads of calories I, I, I don't really see that one as, the, uh, as a great way as a, as a great way to do it and always think that if you if you want to address body composition then you should be doing that through your nutrition if you if you want to train and work hard then yeah do that do that because you want to perform and you want to complete a goal or you want to just do it for your health purposes but don't do it for oh
0: I want to lose weight no yeah I completely agree with that it's uh a different ball game entirely. So if you are, yeah, looking to go into any endurance sports, you are looking to fuel your body, right? Food is the thing that's going to help you perform, and you know, exercise. Yeah, like you said it's not a case of like, oh, look, I burnt fifteen hundred or two thousand calories during this run. It's just like, and that's um a good point to make on myself. I remember recently I reached out to you. I said, you know, appetite's up a little bit. And your response was just like yeah that doesn't mean you have to eat anymore right and i think that's probably the the position that most people find themselves in is they're like oh appetite is up therefore i must be eating and if i look at my calorie my my watch it told me i burnt x amount of calories so i can re-eat those but it's just a case of making sure that you know just seeing that like i don't even look at any of the calories burnt. it's just it goes above my head i don't even acknowledge it i will just give you my feedback on how i feel and how i perform And then we'd obviously make adjustments based on that. So no, exactly. And that was actually part of the reason I asked, because I remember being younger and seeing like, you know, I think the footballer physique was always something that appealed to me. And you always, you know, they took their shirts off, they always had abs. And whereas, you know, you saw some of these endurance athletes and they were holding a, a decent amount of body fat. So can you go into that for the listeners of why, you know, a lot of these endurance athletes are holding, you know, don't have the best physiques, quite little muscle mass and quite high fat mass sometimes as well. If we look at elite, at the end of the day,
1: like the the Mo of this world, they're not holding much body fat, and they're not much. They haven't got much. They haven't got much muscle either. So, like if you look at a physique that you like, and you see what they what they do, then you can get an idea of how you're going to look. And so, if you look at guys who lift weights, bodybuilders, etc., that's if that's the look you want, then you're gonna have to lift weights to do that. When you look at the elite of the of the the running world, then they're very very slight and they're very very small and very very skinny and they're controlled they're one they're genetically predisposed to be like that two they're doing hundreds and hundreds of miles per week so any muscle mass they have on them is going to be gone, but then also any body fat what we have to be careful of as as amateur athletes is that if we go out for two runs per week and that's what we're doing and this is our goal and we've got to realize that that's going to just break down muscle tissue. It's not going to be building up anything. So therefore our muscle mass is going to be pretty small. And then if we're just eating as we would do normally, we're not going to be losing. There's, it's not going to be changing any shape. If you're not in any calorie, de- calorie deficit, then you're going to be whatever shape you're, you're predisposed to be. So you're in a, you're in a stuck between a rock and a hard place because aerobically you want the health benefits of it. You want to do some of it, but I think, from a body composition perspective and from a general look that most people would like to have, weight training is going to give you that more so than what than, than running five days per week is anyway. So it's something to really, really bear in mind. Like from that perspective, it's looking at, do you want to look like a gymnast or a hundred meter runner or a sprinter, et cetera, or a footballer or a marathon runner? And when you go out to run a marathon, you got to realize that the elites of it is what they would look like as if you if you were doing those sort of miles. So therefore, they haven't got much of on them whatsoever. They're very very small. So that's the way your body's going to be going in terms of muscle
0: mass. Yeah, agreed. It begs the question of like what physique you actually want to hold. Like for me at this moment in time, yeah, I think it's worth mentioning is that mine hasn't really changed that much. Like since I've started running. I've gone up to three times a week. I know that I've only been doing it for a month, but there's been minimal changes. Like I might be a little bit tighter, just a little bit, but it's it's very marginal. And the muscle I had before is the muscle I have now. I'm still weight training, but I don't imagine I'm putting enough calories in to even warrant any more muscle being put on. So yeah, you have to make sure that, you know, what reasons are you doing this for? Is it to become, you know, an endurance athlete or do you want body composition? Like what body composition you want to be? And that's, yeah, if you want to build a lot of muscle, Probably not the best, yeah, not the best thing route to go down right now. I think you just got to pick your battle on that front. But coming back to the nutrition side of things, what do these carbohydrates look like? Because of you know, in a typical person's world, this ranges from donuts all the way down to uh, like a sugary electrolyte drink or Coca Cola or something like that. So, what type of carbohydrates are we looking at? So, we're for for during for during when you're actually doing the actual event itself. Let's, um, let's say that I'm going out on a two hour run. Basically, let's say I'm going in the evening. Where do I start from the morning up until the run and then during the run and after as well? So you want to make sure that like beforehand, if you're eating a relatively balanced diet, you're going to have
1: enough carbohydrates in your system and you should be right. Like, well, well punished. If you've obviously, if you haven't overtrained the last few days, like our body can generally store. Between sort of 300 and 450 grams of glycogen. Okay. So glycogen is the form that will break down into glucose to then transport to our muscles, then use as fuel ATP, et cetera. Okay. Now that's not very much. So that's going to be used up relatively quickly. So when you're on a run, you're going to need to get in, like I said before, you can, your body can process between for a smaller, very, very, very small athlete, 20 grams up to about 60 to 80 grams or so per hour. So that's what you've got to think about because those glycogen stores in the muscles in the liver will be used up very, very quickly. They're going to be gone and then you're going to need something. And the only way we can get that is through a fast carbohydrate. So something that's going to be very, very sugary, very, very quick into the system. and going to give you that instant access. So It's the stuff that most of the time you don't want to be eating the rest of the time. Uh, it's your opportunity to go and grab a bag of jelly babies or skittles or whatever it happens to be your little thing that is just carbohydrates though. So it's not saying go for chocolate or something like that, because obviously the fats involved in there, that will slow down the process of getting into the muscles and getting into like getting that instant energy. So it's just something that's very, very, very like high sugar and just literally almost pure sugary. So for me, it would be jelly babies, jelly beans along those sort of lines that I can just have sort of every 20 minutes or so, four or five of them, pop them in the mouth, mouthful of water as well, just to like help, help it sort of the, the digestive system go. And then another 20 minutes later, have it again, another 20 minutes later, have it again. And again, it's starting from the start. It's not going, waiting to the point where you need it, where you think, because then you've already missed it. You missed your opportunity. You want to be replenishing as soon as you start to be using it. You want to be replenishing. it.
0: Cool. and then uh, post run, what would I be looking to have for my evening meal? So post run again,
1: like protein, uh, you're going to have broken down some muscles. So you want to recover,
0: like you're going to broken down some
1: muscle fibers there once you've been running. So you want to be getting in between 20 and 40 grams of protein within an, an hour, an hour and a half. There's no real like huge necessity to get it in, but if you need to get it in because you've got other meals coming up and I get, I understand, get it in. And again, with some carbs, with that, with sort of a one to three ratio is a really, is a, is a good sort of way around that. So about sort of 30 grams of protein to sort of 60, 80 grams of carbs like alongside that. And again, afterwards, if you're really, really into it and you really want to recover because you're doing five, six sessions per week, then I'm saying, again, it wants to be a relatively quick source of carbs. If you're an amateur athlete, it's your dinner, it's your potatoes, it's your rice, it's your whatever else that's coming with it. So there's a point where you can start to go into, you can start to take things on too much. You can start to get a little bit more and you're missing the, you're again, missing the wood for the trees. Like an evening meal, a balanced evening meal of protein, veggies, some carbs, a little bit of fats in there is going to be a perfect post-workout meal as much as anything else.
0: Yeah. And just the context, like I've not even looked at anything to do with any intra workout carbs or anything like that. I'm just sticking to my normal meals and I'm performing perfectly fine. So that's good. And just one more on the nutrition, just whilst we're here, how does digestion look on that front? Because I know a lot of people struggle with, you know, going for a run and says you need it in the bathroom and everything like that. How do our bodies deal with digestion? Obviously, we go for a quick source of carbohydrates, but is that enough?
1: Yeah, you want it's something that you need to play around with yourself. It's gonna vary from person to person. What's gonna work for you? So you need to find out if you're doing like these longer distances, the two, three, four, five, six hour, these ultra-E type things, then you need to find a source because it's not going to be something you're going to be able to get away with. You're going to need to, if you want to p- have good performance, then you're going to need to put fuel back in the system. And again, it's finding the source that's going to be, have the least issues for you in terms of di- like the digestibility of it and the breakdown of it. Because again, the last thing you wanted to be doing is getting caught short when you're out and about, etc. So yeah, it's, it's something to play around with. It's something to play around with in shorter runs, etc. and something to build into. It doesn't want to be something that you're, Totally new to, so it needs to be something. If you've if you if you're running the marathon, don't wait until the day and then then start picking up the food on the stalls, etc. That you've never had before. You want to be like having your trusted brand or your trusted sweet or your trusted drink, et cetera, That you've tried previously. So it's again being proactive rather than
0: reactive to the to the to the occasion and making sure that you've tried all these things beforehand. Very very sound advice. So to summarize, if we want to get into it from a training perspective, we're going to start looking at our warm ups, potentiation, we're going to make sure that we are dressing well, doing cool downs as well, and just paying more attention to our mobility, and then looking for the wider scope of sleep. Um, And then going into the nutrition side of things, just making sure that you've got a balanced diet, being hydrated, and then fueling up on the other side. So that's kind of a summary of that. And then the last question for you, as we transition into the mindset question, probably one of the most important questions we've got is, I think, um, a good example would be okay. On, you're on your Decker Iron Man. You've done your Channel Swim. You've done the cycle, and you've got 240 miles to run. Is that right?
1: 260,
0: 262. But yeah, 262. Okay. So you've got you've got to that 100 mile point of the run, and you've still got 162 to go. I mean, getting to that point is enough. Like, what takes you to that next level, and what is the difference in terms of just having the mindset that helps you get to a half marathon? Versus going to that elite athlete mentality. What's the mindset shift?
1: I think it's believing in the process that the, the the training you've done pre prior to that. So you're there to this is what you've trained to do. So if you've hit all of your sessions leading up to that, then you you're prepared to do the goal. Like you could have done it on any day or any any given day. I think when you get to that level of doing something like the Decker Ironman, you don't you can't like for a half marathon. Most people I want them to be pretty much almost run the half marathon before the day and then they can enjoy the day of the of the half marathon or the marathon. They're competent, they're they're happy that they're gonna go through it and they they can complete it. It's not gonna be a struggle. And I think that's where you 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 can enjoy it. And I think the the occasion of like whatever it is, you don't want to be going through a load of pain in, on the day. You wanna it wants to be an enjoyable occasion. For something along the lines of the Decorai Man, it's it's a different kettle of fish because you can't really the last thing you want to do is run 10 marathons back to back, like. We, in our training, building up to it, we did back-to-back marathons twice, and that was it. So really after that, you're you're trusting the process that you've built the resilience, the fact that we'd, we'd trained every day for that period of time. We trained for st- up to six hours every day for that period of time. So we knew that we could cope with it. From there, it was then just saying to it, like, from my perspective, it was literally, I have nothing else to do today other than get from A to B. That's what I'm here to do. So I'm just going to get from A to B. It's just taking one step after another step and continually saying to yourself, I have
0: nothing else to do today. Like,
1: all I've got to do is just get there. So let's just get there.
0: That's insane. And um Were there any points in which you were like, What the hell am I doing? I don't want to follow through with this. Was there a point at which you're like, maybe I'm not going to make this, or did that because I should imagine, like, even if you're confident, you've done all the stuff, like because, like you said, you can't complete an event like that prior to that event, right? It's only in the event you're going to do it. So when those inner demons came in, if they did, like, how did you address that, and what type of them did you experience? In the swim, which which
1: was always going to be the from everyone's perspective, I think the thing that limits people to doing these sort of challenges is going to be the swim. Like, I think most people can cycle and most people could run if they trained hard. They could they could do those distances if they're a pretty good athlete. The swim is a limiting factor. It's twenty four miles. It's was fourteen hours nonstop. stop, and that's where that when we did it, I did it with. There's two of us who did it, and there only was one other person in the UK had ever done it beforehand. There was less people had been to space than had done a Decker Man at the time when we did it. So you're talking elite of elite. And you're talking not many people in who've, who would have ever have done this. And with the swim, I'd, I'd put together, I, we had a, we had a boat that was with us with friends on each of us had us, we had our separate boats. We swam at different places and what, et cetera, but I'd given my friends and fam, like I had a couple of friends and family on the boat. I would give them an A4 sheet of how I needed them to behave what I needed them to do during the whole, the whole period of time. And one of the things was if I said I couldn't do it, they had to ask me if I could do one more stroke. If I could, if I said yes, then they had to tell me to get the fuck on with it. (laughs) And that literally was my thing for, for the swim. But that we, I, I also had other things like I had a whiteboard and I had them writing things on it. So every time I could look over, they would, they'd be writing different stories or reminding me of different thoughts and different things that we'd done together experiences and different motivation stuff, et cetera. So that was one thing for the swim. And the swim was without doubt the the, the hardest single day of exercise that I've ever done. And like we talked about before, I did 24 hour cycle. That swim was considered was way, way harder because it was just me on my own with my own thoughts for 14, over 14 hours. So that was hard on the runs. The, the cycling part of it, we actually got stronger as we went on day by day by day, which happens with cycling. You, you can get into a rhythm and you can actually get stronger, Because again, it's less taxing on the body. You're not pounding on the floor. There's no contact, so you can actually get stronger and stronger.
0: The runs, I guess, after the swim, like for the most part, you're just recovering for those first, I know, 100 kilometers of the cycle. And then once you've recovered from the swim, you're like, okay, now I'm good to go. So you've picked up a little bit. Is that right?
1: Yeah. yeah. So you pick up a little bit. You're changing actually because you're sitting down the whole time. As long as you've got enough fuel and you manage your efforts, you don't go too hard then you can go on forever and ever and ever. You can sit on the bike. And I actually did crash on the d- third day, which was a little bit, which did throw things out a little bit, but uh, just got back up and got on with it. And I was a bit bruised and sore, but it was, it was fine. But then when we got onto the run, the transition from the fight to the run was pretty much horrendous. You're using very different muscles. Then suddenly you go into the pounding on the floor. And after day one, there were doubts in my mind whether this was going to be possible now because I my quads, I'd never felt pain to the point where the last couple of miles like was on verging on tears thinking, like, how can I possibly do this for another nine days? But then sort of waking up the next day, every single day there was a when you finished you there was a couple of hours where there was loads of sort of like happy smiles and joking and jovial behavior. And everybody was like the whole camp and the whole sort of team were really happy. And then as the evening wore on, the mood came down as we sort of realized that we were going again the next day. And then in the morning, every morning we were pretty much Horrible people to be around. We were sort of like just scowling and just generally just in our own little worlds, and we just needed to be left alone just to get on with it. But on day three, Rob, met the guy who I did it with, who uh, we just got into France because we actually ran from London to Paris. We were in France, and it was we were in the middle of the countryside. Nobody was around us, and he just stopped, broke down, started crying, saying, "I can't do it. Just, just can't do it." And uh, we had to. We just the rest of that day, we sort of like just just walked. And we just sort of got through that day. He he was in pain. He had blisters all over his feet. His sort of ankles and shins were hurting a lot. And from my perspective, that gave me the confidence that I couldn't quit. Like oh, I could see how much he was hurting. And it it almost made me like strangely feel like I was okay. There was nothing wrong with me because he was, I could see he was having to concentrate on every single footstep going down. And I was like, Yeah, I'm sore, but I'm not that sore. Yeah. So almost like because I could almost, for me, almost helping him along made it easier for me. So that was the one point of the run where we felt like we weren't going to do it. And that that day, the marathon took seven hours. Every other marathon was within was under four was under five hours, and we tried to run sub sub four hours on the eighth one, but we finished in four oh eight, so we didn't quite get under four hours on the on the eighth one. Uh, which was a little bit annoying, but we'll let ourselves off after all that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think I'm going to stick to the Euro tunnel from London to France instead of (laughs) (laughs) No, That's insane. So I, I think based on that, it's like, well, A, I think the biggest one actually I took away from that was understanding your motivation levels and how you are individually motivated. Like just telling you to get on if you could do that extra stroke wouldn't work for everyone. And, and it, like, okay, no, nothing even directly close to what you did. But during that 5K yesterday, there was a point of when I was running. I was like, well, if I run faster, it's going to hurt, but it's already hurting. So it's just going to hurt a little bit more, but I'm going to achieve something. So that allowed me to go faster. So I think once you understand that about yourself, and then you know when you need to really like amp yourself up and other times where you need to just tone it down a little bit and just go through the motions. I think that's a really, really fascinating point um, point of just understanding how you are individually motivated because of everyone is slightly different, right?
1: Yeah, and I think it's your why will be your biggest reason. And that'll be the thing that when the times get tough, you'll go back to that. And that'll be the thing that's always on your mind. And as soon as those hard miles come or those tough sort of like climbs come, et cetera, you're, you've, that's the thing you've got to be, it's got to be strong enough to then drive you forward particularly in the training and then on the day itself you should be able to enjoy the day from my perspective like if it's just a one-off day you should be there to enjoy it as much as possible but it's the training where you then need that little bit of push that little reminder of why you're doing it like if i if i go back to that the the 24-hour cycle that i did just before christmas
0: yeah
1: one of the things where it got tough for me was when i broke when I broke the 14 hour mark, when I broke the the longest time that I'd ever exercised for was that swim. So I'd broken that on the bike and the next two hours were the longest two hours that I'd ever done before. And it was, it was then questioning, why am I doing this? Like what, what is the reason I'm doing this? And for me it was, I wanted to tick it off for something that I'd done and I wanted to show people and lead and inspire people what is possible. So I was making sure that that was in the forefront of my mind. And then also it was, if you want to do this and this wants to be something that you're going to do, you're going to have to come back to this point again. If you quit now, you'll have to do all of those 14 or 16 hours or whatever i had done up to that point. You'll have to do them again. And like, why do you like you've got here now? Just go for a little bit longer. And it was the same. It was the same mindset of do the next step. Do the next step. Just tick off the next little bit. Just get to that next 10 minutes or that next time you're going to refuel in every 20 minutes I was eating. Just get to the next food bit, food bit, see how you feel then, and then let's let's then reassess it again then. And just continually just shedding yourself, like breaking the big goal down to smaller goals for the day for yourself allows you then just to tick off and pick off bit by bit. And before you know it, you've broken through the, the tough patch that you had and you're, you're now onto the home straight.
0: I think that's huge. And you can scale that back to any type of like challenge you're working through, even if it's like the situation now and you're not handling lockdown now. Well, it's like the next day the next day. Right. And then same with your weight loss journey, for instance, as well It's just like the next meal, the next training session, and like you said, it doesn't seem nearly as big when you do that. And just for some context here, Dan just decided for fun that he would like to do 24 hours consecutively on, on the bike. No reason, no event, just, he just decided to do it in the comfort of his own home. So what was the, um, what, how did you feel Firstly, actually, I want to go back to the Decker Ironman. How did you feel after that? And then tell the uh, listeners what you did after the bike ride as well. After Decker Ironman, it was like, it was an, I
1: think you get like, you, you have 24 hours or so where after you finish anything like that, you're on a massive high, et cetera. You feel on top of the world. And also as well, I think going like since then, it's allowed me to have the confidence to literally feel as if I could do anything like literally do anything it doesn't not just as athletically but like anything within within life I realized that if you put a plan together and you work hard you're you're smart about it you understand the pitfalls etc then you can pretty much achieve most things uh, in life Uh, and then uh, then you've got to understand there's always going to be a down period afterwards because you've built up for this for nine months or so trained for it and then it's, it's been the biggest focus that you've ever had like and then suddenly it's done so you've got to realize there's going to be a down period afterwards and that's, that's, you've got to accept that with any goal. You've got to prepare for that by having other things ready to, to go and do afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> with The bike. Yeah. 24 hours finished. I was obviously didn't sleep for those 24 hours. And literally I got off and put a towel down on my bed, said to my wife, wake me up in an hour. I went straight to sleep within literally within <laughs> seconds. I was so tired it was I was just and it wasn't like yes I was physically exhausted but I was so sleepy tired as well as physically exhausted so I literally went to sleep for literally for an hour straight away and then got up and then sort of like had some food celebrated a little bit and then just crashed again <laughs>
0: Brilliant. no just the, the copious amount of caffeine you must have been having yeah. how how much of a high you must have been on you just like conked out right away. <laughs> yeah literally right away <laughs> it? well we'll wrap up there i think that's super valuable so thank you so much for your time dan and where Pleasure. is the best place for people to connect with you if they want to see more of your world your instagram page is very no nonsense it's probably the, the pg way of saying it so is that the best place for people to find you
1: yeah it would be uh just coach dan reeve on instagram yeah that's pretty much the best way like 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 you like you just said it's just it's pretty much no holds barred and just my world and my my life and what's going on really
0: yeah i definitely dive deep into that so guys if you enjoyed it today take a screenshot of us if you're listening to it and tag both myself and dan on the instagram stories definitely give him a follow watch his uh, next journey He might just decide that he wants to do a 48 hour cycle tomorrow you never know so <laughs> probably not but we'll see <laughs> thank you so much for listening and i'll talk to you all very very soon